This morning we're reading from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is speaking and says, Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Four hundred and thirty thousand years ago, someone got murdered. Researchers have found paleontologists evidence of what perhaps is the first murder within a human lineage. In a cave in Spain, in a pit that was 50 feet deep, they found a number of skeletons. One of them, though, was peculiar in that it had two holes in the skull that matched as if someone with great force had struck this person and killed them. Now, the researchers say the skeletons they found were laid out in such a way that it appears that this was a cemetery or some kind of ritual burial place for some group of persons. They said, obviously, here was a group of a few dozen that lived together, that loved together, and at some points came into conflict and fought together. Verse 13, in our reading this morning, prays, and do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Or perhaps more familiar to many of us is the Methodist liturgical traditional way we say that, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are not the first folks to struggle with temptation and evil. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer all this month to see what we can learn, how we might go deeper into what Jesus was teaching, and how that might shape and form our lives, and in fact, how we can move from just saying the words to actually living out the prayer in our everyday lives. We started with our Father, thinking about how big God's family is, moved on to talking about praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and what role we can play in making that happen. Then we moved to daily bread and talked about how God wants to and can sustain us every day in our spiritual lives. I lifted up five practices that we could consider to use in our own life to place us in a position to receive more sustenance from God in our daily living. Last week, we began to talk about that journey of finding forgiveness and how difficult that can be in our lives. I suggested we need God's help, whether we're trying to offer forgiveness or if we need to receive forgiveness. Both sides of that equation, we need God's help for us to get there. 
And then today we begin to look at this petition that talks about God's guidance and protection for us. We've been using Adam Hamilton's book on the Lord's Prayer in lots of our Sunday school classes and some of our small group studies. I've been using it as a resource for our sermons here. He makes a couple of points that I want to highlight for us in the sermon today. He begins with the first word, and, and says it's there on purpose. It's tying this petition we just read about temptation and evil to the one just before it, he says, about forgiveness. And he says it makes more sense if we see how this all flows together. He suggests that Anne ties this petition about temptation and evil to the previous one about forgiveness, and it does so on purpose that God can forgive us and lead us in a new way, and then the next petition picks that up. Important to note that in the early manuscripts we have of Christian scriptures of the New Testament, they're in Greek, no punctuation. So we often read this petition as lead us not into temptation and people wonder why would God lead us into temptation and sort of sounds like we're praying against God like don't lead us like you were going to lead us because we don't want to go into temptation. Reverend Hamilton points out since there's no punctuation it leads to confusion. He says it would be better if we would insert a comma after lead us. So it would read like this, lead us, pause, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says the focus is on God's leading us out of sin through forgiveness, not back into temptation or evil. God is leading us. He contrasts that with our own choices and trying to go it our way. And how often when we try to go it alone, we end up in temptation and succumbing to it and participating in evil he says the petitions are connected on purpose so that we understand all that god can do in our lives lead us deliver us rescue us are all ways to pray for god's help just as the other petitions are asking god for help in our lives. It's a way for us through this prayer to turn back to God every day. Or for some of us, you've told me you're praying it several times a day to continue to turn back to God rather than trying to go it on your own. I received a gift book back at Christmas. It's a storybook with drawings, but it has some good wisdom in it the name of the book is the boy the mole the fox and the horse and the book is conversations of these characters together i want to read you just a snippet at one point the boy asked the horse what is the bravest thing you've ever said help said the horse When have you been at your strongest? asked the boy. The horse responded, When I have dared to show my weakness. Asking for help isn't giving up. The 
course said, it's refusing to give up. Asking God for help isn't giving up. It's refusing to give up and allowing God to come ever more into our lives to lead us forward. We've been reading this version of the Lord's Prayer out of Matthew. Luke also has a version of the Lord's Prayer. You can find it in Luke chapter 11. I want to read you how that version runs. The beginning of verse 11 in Luke says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say. And then Luke gives his version, a little shorter version than Matthew, but it's the same petitions of prayer. And then in Luke's version, Jesus follows that by telling a parable about the importance of persevering in prayer, that even when we're frustrated and feel like we're not getting answers, we should continue to turn to God and pray. And then in verse 9, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is encouraging us to pray and to be persistent in prayer. Jesus is encouraging us to ask, to turn to God for help and ask God. In Luke's version, it's modeled as the disciples ask, Jesus teaches to pray, and Jesus answers them. It reminded me of the quote I used the first week in this sermon series earlier in the month from John Wesley when he was writing a sermon about this prayer. I shared these words. I think they bear repeating. If God is Father, then God is good. Then God is loving to his children. And here is the first and great reason for prayer. God is willing to bless. Let us ask for blessing. Are you willing to ask? Are you willing to ask God for help as Jesus teaches? Goes on in Luke to say that then Jesus compares God to good parents and says, don't good parents always give good things to their children? Of course, we're supposed to say yes. And then in verse 13, Luke records that Jesus says, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's one of the great gospel promises that not only is God with us and God cares about us and God wants to bless us, but when we ask for help, not just that God responds to what our small need may be, but that God offers God's self through the Holy Spirit, that God's presence and power that can lead and protect you, can guide and heal 
will be there for you. What great good news to know that the God we worship, the one Jesus calls Father, is like a good parent who loves us always and wants good things to come to us. As Reverend Hamilton's closing his book, he picks up the last phrase that we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer and worship. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You don't find it in Matthew or Luke, but by the end of the first century, you find it in many manuscripts using this prayer for liturgical or worship or ritual use. The church has added this, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He says it's a doxology, a response of praise, expecting that these things we've just prayed for, of course, are going to come true, that God is going to be alive and at work in our lives because God is with us and the creator of the universe cares about us. He says he hopes that writing this book and for people to study this prayer truly does shape and reshape us ever more into the image of Christ. And then he tells a story to illustrate this. It centers around a Frenchman named Pierre Sauvage. He grew up in a small town in France. He wondered when he began to learn the history of his small town, what had happened there. You see, he was Jewish, and some people in his town had protected him from the Nazis. They had saved the lives of his parents and his life, and he wondered why. And so he began to do research to see what had happened. Why in this village was there such strong resistance? And what he found was that the local parson the pastor in that town had preached a sermon early on when the nazis began to invade and he said that changed the way this whole town responded to the nazi invasion he quotes part of the sermon i want to read it to you this pastor said the duty of the christians is to resist a violence that will be brought to bear on their consciences through the weapons of the Spirit. We shall resist when our adversary shall demand of us obedience contrary to the orders of the gospel. We shall do so without fear, but also without pride and without hatred and sure enough the french christians in this small town began to hide the jews that lived there among them before the nazis could find them they began to help them escape across the border into switzerland and developed a whole underground railroad when they had to, they lied to the Nazi officials when they arrived about their activities and where the Jews would be or would not be. Word spread across France through the resistance that in this place you could find help. And other Jews began to travel to this small town in France. Pierre Sauvage, 
who went back to do this research and tells a story in a movie that he made about his hometown began to call this a conspiracy of goodness. A conspiracy of goodness. And he says it was not just those first Christians that heard the sermon, but unlike in other places where local government officials would cooperate with the Nazis, their local government officials did not. He said almost unbelievably, the stories are that even some of the Nazi soldiers who were sent there to patrol the area and round up the Jews began to cooperate and not always tell what was going on in that part of France. Hamilton writes, In this way, all of these people faced allegiances in crisis and chose God's kingdom over earthly powers. As Savage came to believe when people concertedly engage in goodness, it becomes contagious, spreading in unforeseen, unimaginable ways, even into the hearts of your enemies who are converted into co-conspirators. On a more sobering note, Hamilton points out 99% of the people in Nazi Germany were Christians who prayed the Lord's Prayer. Yet they failed to understand or live what they were praying. Working and praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Working and praying that God not lead us into temptation, but lead us away from the temptations that we might have slipped in or the ways we might have gone. Lead us in a better way to be God's people on earth. Might that happen for us. Let us become those who are living the Lord's Prayer. Let us be those who are fervent prayers, but also fervent in our witness and our work that God's kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. I pray it may be so. Amen.